If you're listening via Spotify, I invite you to follow Sir Kevin Says. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you can show your support by subscribing and rating the show five stars. Alternatively, you can watch the video version of this and every other episode on my YouTube channel, Kevin Michael Chong, or visit my website, www.sirkevinchong.com and view or listen to them that way. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 36 of Sir Kevin Says. Today we're featuring Gonzalo Grau. He's a pianist, producer, arranger, and composer. Excited to have him all the way from Spain. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Madrid, yeah. Yeah, how's it going? It's going well. I mean, it's going weird because yes. it's been for all of us, for everybody. It's going, it, last year was just insanely weird as a, yeah. as a let's say as a year professionally speaking personally speaking it's mm -hmm. just it's just weird, a weird time and on top of everything a couple of days ago we had a blasting uh snowstorm here in madrid which never happens wow. we never, never 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 madrid is I mean, maybe some flurries like once once every winter and the i mean Basically, I mean, it wasn't that much. I mean, I lived for I lived for twenty three years between Boston and New York, so I'm used to it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I'm used to it because it's. I mean, this snowstorm is nothing like East Coast, you know, snow snowstorms or <laughs> Minneapolis or Chicago. Right. But for for let's say for Spain standards, this is basically a country that is not prepared for something like this. Yeah. So, Maybe, maybe a foot, maybe something like that. I mean, maybe a little more uh, of, of snow. But the thing is that here, I mean, they are not prepared for that. <laughs> so we, I saw a video actually on the news where, where people in Spain were like having snowball fights, right? Well, I was <laughs> part of one. <laughs> it was fun. I mean, it was really fun. I mean, you, you could see, you know, parents... Uh, pulling their kids, you know, the kids in, in some of some kind of plastic bin because they don't wow. have. Wow, it's it's it was very fun. Actually, I got to see people on skis, like on the street, because everything closed down, everything locked down because it, it was crazy. I mean, for again, Madrid is not a is not necessarily a place where I mean we get of course a winter here, but the mm -hmm. lowest temperature here maybe two degrees, three degrees. Last winter was a joke comparing to what I'm used to. You know, I lived in Boston most of my time in the U.S. Then I lived in New York quite a bit too. And I lived for a couple of years, two or three years in Washington, D.C. So you get blasting snow yeah. <laughs> in part of the country. Yeah. So for me, this is, this, is, this is totally fine. How long have you been in Spain for now? Uh, in April, in April is going to be three years now. Oh wow, three years! But you're originally from Venezuela, correct? Can you talk to us a little bit about your upbringing from there? 
Yeah. Um, about Venezuela? About yes. The, sure. I mean, I was born in Caracas, uh, and uh, both my parents are musicians as well. Uh, I come from an artist family, I guess I, I can say, because not, not only my parents, but my, my entire family, they are some kind of artists, painters, engravers, and poets, and writers. Wow. I've been involved in all kinds of art forms since I was born. Uh, but I was born in Venezuela uh, back in 1972. So it was a very, very different time in Venezuela. Right now we are having a brutal, brutal time, I guess. I mean, economically speaking and socially speaking, I mean, this is when we were having a very, very rough time right now in Venezuela. Right. But back in the 70s and 80s, which was my, you know, the... Uh, I moved to Boston to study at Berklee College of Music in 95. So all my 22 first years that I basically, I, I was raised as a musician, young musician in Venezuela. It was a marvelous place to be, honestly. I mean, I was lucky to to be in, in a country that it was flourishing and I'm just just basically amazing. I mean, you we, we don't know what we have until we... You know, on the, we don't have it anymore. Until we yeah, lose it. yeah. We had amazing, amazing. Everything, everything was was you know, it was in very good shape. I have to say, as a country, of course. I mean, it's not that we didn't have problems. I mean, everybody has. You know, I mean, we we still had a lot of corruption, and sure. I mean, we can talk, <laughs> we can we can we can talk and talk about it. Uh, but the truth is that uh, I was lucky. I was lucky to be, to be born in a place where culture was just like all over the place. Mm -hmm. Venezuela is located, I mean, we are very lucky too, because we are Caribbean. I mean, we on, on the north of Venezuela, that's the Caribbean Sea. So we have that as very much part of our culture. And that's why I was, I grew up listening to salsa and playing salsa since I was a teenager and dancing. And, and every, I mean, to me, salsa, is, it was basically very much uh, the music that I was listening to. That and Venezuelan traditional music and all everything that is is basically related to Venezuelan popular music, it was very much part of my daily, you know, daily thing that I was listening to. Yes, yes. But of course, my parents, both my parents are very strong, classical, classically trained musicians, both of them. My father is a choir conductor and composer, and my mother, she's a singer, uh, let's say a classical singer, mm -hmm. and uh, vocal coach, also a conductor and multi-instrumentalist herself. So the thing is that I grew up between choir rehearsals of my dad and operas of my mother and this and that, and I, I started playing cello. cello. The cello was the very first instrument I played. I started studying when I was three years old. So, uh, in, I mean, I was, I was not even, uh, let's say, before I learned to, to speak, <laughs> <laughs> so, some, somehow playing some, playing some instrument. And that's the Venezuela I grew up in, honestly. So it's all of these influences, all of this music from the street, popular music, and the classical movement back in the day, uh, in the 70s and 80s, it was very strong, very, very strong. That was the year I was born. That was the same year 
that thing called now El Sistema, or which which back 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 then was called the National Youth Orchestra of Venezuela. Yeah, that was created the same year I was born, and when I was thirteen, I joined that big orchestra playing cello, and and I mean, I, it's I have the the best memories from a Venezuela that it was just. I mean, we didn't know what we had, honestly. Yeah. Honestly. Wow. Anyway, that was that was that until until I went to Berkeley, to Berkeley College of Music in Boston. That was 1995, and I was there studying for about three years, three and a half years. I graduated at Berkeley in '98, and then basically I stayed playing, playing, and uh, I mean, I guess in my original plans was not. You know, you know, I didn't plan to stay in the States. But as it is, uh, I mean, I started studying at Berkeley and making my second family, my extended mm. family, which are my friends and colleagues that, that to the day, I cannot be more thankful to have them in my life. Yes. Because my family is always my family, you know. I, I, I like to say and to think that that's not really your fault. I mean, you are born in a you know, in a family, and that's your family. And some people are lucky to have a beautiful family. Some mm -hmm. people are not that lucky, but that's that, you know. But your friends, hey, your friends you choose. Yeah, I mean, that's for, good. You know, and and it's, I, I am very lucky to say that both, I mean, my family, my blood family, and also my extended family, my friends are the most amazing, the most amazing thing that I have in my life. Hands down, that is the most amazing thing that I have in my life. So, after I finished my studies at Berkeley, I was already connected with a network of friends and musicians that basically I, I said, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to stay. I'm going to do my thing here. Uh, not only here, because that, that's also another beautiful thing of the times that we live nowadays. Yes. We it doesn't matter if I live in Madrid. Still, I am very much connected to. I mean, my network of friends and colleagues is basically all over the place. Once, you know, back in 1995, 96, 97, we were all in Boston, but now we are all spread all over the freaking place. Honestly, <laughs> I have friends in New York, friends in LA, uh, friends in Boston, in Ecuador. In Venezuela, of course, in uh, here in Spain, in Barcelona, some in Madrid. I mean, it's like we're all over the place. That core, the core that gave birth to Clave Secreta is basically spread out all over the world right now. And yet we are still connected and making music over distance because now technology, I guess I have a love-hate relationship with technology, but the truth is that the good one of the good things that technology gives us nowadays is that we can record at home and still make it sound amazing. As of late, since the whole quarantine or pandemic started, I should say, I've seen you've done a lot of challenges through social media, right? Yeah. Can you talk to us about that? What kind of inspired you to do that? Oh God, what what inspired me to do it? <laughs> I, honestly, the I don't know. Honestly, I, the thing is that. I remember that I played with a new, let's say, a new Clave Secreta that I put together here in Spain. I played one concert with a 
clave secreta Barcelona-based, and that was March 6th. And then four days after that, on March 10th, I played with a clave secreta Madrid-based. So I put together a couple of core, different cores, and I had my best player, Panayotis, coming from New York. Yeah. I had the singer of the band, Manolo, and Fausto Cuevas, who lives in L.A. We put together these two new clave secretas, and by the, you know, for the record, we were the very last show that venue in Madrid presented before the close down. Lockdown, uh, that was March 14th, I believe. And uh, basically, kind of like a month, a month into, into isolation, I was like, already, it's been a very interesting process. Uh, Kevin, because the thing is that I, I, I was looking at uh, all of my musician friends gradually becoming more and more active, like doing some kind of interviewing type of kind of like talking or something like this, something like that. <laughs> but it's like it was it was very interesting because the thing is that okay, I mean everybody needed to be active from home somehow, and. I saw a couple of challenges here and there of people just making uh, and to be honest I mean I I I started making this just as a as a as a let's, let me let me invite a couple of friends of mine that's it and I'm going to call it Soneo challenge just for fun I mean I was I wasn't really thinking let's make this a big thing uh, or no I did it just honestly not thinking about the challenge, but thinking about the song. The very first song that I used, it was basically sim very symbolic because the lyrics say La Soledad, you know, the solitude or the loneliness in, yeah. in a way. Because after a month, I was, of course, you know, by myself living here uh, in this small apartment. And uh, I was... One of the very things that have accompanied me for all of this time is, of course, the urge and the need to be with my family, which they're all in Venezuela, or most of them are in Venezuela, my mother, my father, and I couldn't be with them. And under these kind of circumstances that, I mean, it's not really safe, I, I understand that I can't, and it's better some, somehow that I'm not with them, you know, but at the same time, I mean, it's the whole understanding that I don't know exactly if I'm going to see them again and to be able to deal with um to deal with a sense of yes I'm alone and I understand and I'm not desperate to be with them but to understand that we're going through something that is way bigger than us you know that I I, I am not in control I mean if I was in control I you know I buy a, fly, a, a you know a, a plane ticket and I go and visit them right right but I mean this is bigger than all of us it's bigger than my mom is bigger than me bigger than you because I mean this is something that I mean we all hope that it's going to get again under control with a vaccine and everything but back when this started in you know March of last year I was like wow I mean going through so much so many different emotions and I could see the same thing with all my colleagues and friends and all the artists were trying to, okay, be 
somehow somehow to be vocal about it and to say things and to connect and to be present. Some I mean, it was it was insane. The first, I guess, first three or four months of this, it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. And it's very interesting to see how everything has been changing in terms of that. I mean, now I see much less people being, you know, active and connected and this I mean, mo- most likely because everybody's trying to make money. Everybody's trying to survive. At the, at the beginning, everybody was trying to connect and say, oh, okay, everybody's at home. Okay, maybe for the next couple of months, I'm just going to connect connect, and be a little bit more loud on social media, you know? Everybody was... Nowadays, it's not the same. Even though we're still dealing with the pandemic uh, times, it's not the same. The psychology of the people are not. It's not the same. It's not the same. People are reacting differently. People are ha- people are are busy doing something else. Most of my friends, I have to say, this is very sad, but most of my musician friends, they are working. You know, in things like Amazon or, you know, yeah, Uber, some yeah. kind of the service. I mean, because music is out of the picture. Forget it. Live shows. I mean, last year, 2020, I played in the whole entire year. I played three times, I guess, four times. Man. That's it. That's it. So all, I mean, we all musicians, we had to, I mean, if you have a family, we have, you, know, you have to provide. Yeah. I mean, and the only things that are not closing down are the most basic need things, you know, delivering food, these type of things. So... I mean, all of these stories basically to tell you that at the beginning, when I saw all my musicians, friends being connected and more active and more active and every day being more, I was like, you know what? Let me just for fun. And I don't know why I started singing because I felt lonely, you know. And, you know, maybe I was talking to a friend of mine over the phone or something like that. And I said, like, well, yeah, I'm a little bit lonely here. I'm solo, right? I'm Soledad. And it came to it came to me that very old song from Adalberto Álvarez that says La soledad es mala consejera canta conmigo y olvida tus penas because everybody is having some kind of sorrow some kind of olvida tus penas it's like sing with me and forget your sorrows so forget your bad times you know but but acknowledging that being alone I mean it's not perhaps the best thing. You know, so that's I mean, that was to me the first motivation motivation was finding or or remembering that song. I remembered that song based on the situation that that I was living. And I did that little bit of a sequence that was kind of like part of my own my own thing, my own challenge that I started way before that. In uh, (laughs) this is funny because I apart from my my Instagram personal account, I have something else called quickie sound, quickie songs. And quickie songs is basically my way of protesting that nowadays social media is basically forcing you to say everything in either 15 seconds or 30 seconds, or the post is one minute, the most, the longest is Mm -hmm. one minute. So, I mean, at the beginning, it was longer times. And the more we advance in technology, this is why I'm saying that that I have a love-hate relationship with our times and technology is because nowadays, if you, I mean, 
it's very hard to say something meaningful in only 30 seconds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So I created that account, Quickie, Quickie Songs. I mean, it's nothing. I mean, I've done only like eight, eight songs. But my own personal challenge was, you know, as, as, a, as a protest kind of uh, account, was, okay, I'm going to, since you are giving me only one minute, I'm going to make songs, you know, only MIDI with my MIDI studio with keyboards and everything. I mean, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make songs, create new original songs that are one minute long exactly to the dot. That was my own personal challenge. And the song, the whole thing is that from, from the introduction to the very end, I wanted this minute to, 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 I wanted the song to sound complete, you know, with an introduction, with some kind of, so I did that. So taking that kind of personal challenge, I said, okay, let me, let me invite a couple of friends of mine to sing to sing this coro of La Soledad, of the, you know, solitude. Yeah. Uh, but that is only one minute long. Taking that as a, you know, as one of these personal challenges. Okay, let me make this one minute long exactly to the dot and invite a couple of friends of mine. So I invited the lead singer of Guaco, amazing, amazing singer and amazing band from Venezuela. I invited Marcial Isturiz, singer from Venezuela. Of course, Manolo Mairena, the singer of Clave Secreta. And I invited a couple of amazing, amazing female salsa singers, friends of mine. One, Javiera La Caimana, they call her. It, uh, Javiera, she's from Chile, but she lives in Peru now, in Lima. And uh, Avin Bruno, that she's an amazing singer from Venezuela that lives in Barcelona. So I... I invited, let's say, eight, ten singers, friends of mine, that they are all over the freaking place. And the reaction was so amazing. Amazing. But I think, honestly, to give credit to, to, to the song, I mean, I don't... Sure, I mean, it's, I think it's well arranged, it's well recorded, it, it's well presented, but I think... What really made it special was that I was opening a window to everybody to actually express how they were feeling about being in, you know, isolation. And that, that's what I think made this first, very first challenge so, so meaningful. It was, I mean, I was the first one that I was so amazed that everybody was waiting for the next day for me to release a new one it kind of kind of like sorry it, it kind of became the, the the best part of the day for a lot of people you know wow. Wow. the first thing i mean i i was i remember that i was releasing every day a new one at 3 p.m which is 3 p.m spain time and 9 a.m eastern or or, or caracas time yeah it was amazing because it was people waking up and the very first thing they did over there in, in your side of the country, it was just, let me see what's up with the challenge. <laughs> it was amazing. It was really, really amazing. Then I did like maybe two or three more challenges just for fun. And very recently, like less than a month ago, I was like, you know what, to start, you know, 
to start the year, let me do something different. Let me really do something like way, 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 way different. So I did something like a Guajira style yeah. to give also the singers a little bit more space, not just a short soneo, but just to give them more space to to say something. So I have to say that I would I had no expectations. It was just for fun that I did this uh, and I opened up this beautiful window of you know for people to say something about the isolation and in a very personal you know uh, I guess uh, level these challenges have been my uh, my I haven't been alone ironically enough you know I'm singing with all of these challenges dedicated to solitude but because of the challenge and because of the response of the people I haven't been alone at all you know uh, this challenge thing have been my accompaniment. <laughs> you know, it it has been my my partner in crime. Yeah, I guess, in a way. So that I guess that's the story of the of the of the Soneo challenge. That's awesome. That's a great story. Let me ask you this because you were talking about how you moved around a lot, right? You were in Boston for a bit. You were in New York. You said you were in Washington. What made you make the move to Spain? The very first thing, I think I, in a way, I felt that my time, especially in a place like New York, the last, the, the, the last place where I lived in the States was in New York. The very first time I moved to New York was in 2003. So we're talking about, you know, I, I was there like between Boston and New York for more than 20 years. And I could see a big change a big change in the dynamic of the city, in the, I don't know. I guess, I mean, I, I don't want to sound judgmental or too judgmental about it because I'm sure, I'm sure that every generation of musician is going to have their time and is going to connect with whatever is happening at their time. It's very interesting to see that, I don't know, back in the 60s, Chick Corea and Herbie Hancock and all of these amazing players, they lived in New York. They all at some point lived in New York because New York is that. New York is the mecca for mm -hmm. creativity when it comes to that. You know, I mean, they were playing with Miles Davis and they were playing. I mean, everything was being cooked there. But none of these musicians lived in New York. And I mean, at some point, they all emigrate somewhere, you know. Uh, I guess it's, it's a place where you have to some, somehow pay your dues and be there for a little bit. But I think it's also smart to know when to get out, you know, to understand that if a place, even if it's New York, but if the place is not giving you something back to you, because you are giving a lot of talent to the, to the place, a lot of energy to the place, and a lot of money to the place where you are living in, right? So if the place is not giving anything back to you, then what's the point? You know, easily, easily. I mean, I, I, you could be there until, uh, I mean, your entire life uh, and not really do anything. And just to say that you live in a place like New York, but I don't think that's the, the I mean, if you are a solid, a solid musician, artist, let's say, you at some point, I mean, you have to realize that you are solid enough to live anywhere and to make it anywhere, anywhere. That's and good. you need 
you don't need to leave the struggle of a place like New York. Because at the end, at the end, when you are in your 20s, that's, a, that's also another thing. I mean, you, I mean, we all grow up and we go through different stages in life. When you are in your 20s, you don't mind to, leave, to, you know, to sleep on a floor or to have five roommates and one bathroom. That type <laughs> of that's classic New York right there. You know, you're a student and you don't care. You don't care, right? Mm. Then you are in your thirties. Eh, well, maybe you still carry a little bit, but that. But I'm, you know, when, when I decided to move here, I was forty-five years old, living in Jersey, not in New York, but Jersey, Hoboken, Weehawken, actually, right, right next to the city, right next to the city. But I was living in New Jersey, in the Jersey side, with one roommate, right? At you know, again, I was forty-five. And living with sharing apartment still had to share an apartment with one roommate. And I was paying for my half of the apartment and the amount of money that it was ridiculous, 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 you know, to the point that I had to be teaching at a school that it was a beautiful school, but that's not my thing. But I had to be teaching music at a school to be able to, to be able to pay that rent. So at the end, you find yourself you know, making some decisions in your life to, I don't know, to live a life that is not really, uh, I don't know, it's, it's not really what you're looking for yeah. anymore, you know? So so money-wise, it was very, very, I mean, on, to, to, to be 100% honest, I remember the day that I went out just to, I mean, to, to have a beer with a friend or something like that, uh, oh, I remember, I remember. Uh, my brother from Venezuela, my brother was blood brother. He was visiting and it was his very last night in New York before going back to Venezuela. So check it out. I, t I tell my brother, hey, let's, let's go out, uh, you know, have a, have a good, you know, have a good time in a, in a restaurant, in a nice place. So we went to, to, a, to a meat place to have you know, to, to, to a meat restaurant. And so check it out. We, before we actually, before the food, we had a couple of cocktails and two, and with the food, two glasses of wine, of wine, one, my brother and one myself. And the, just to tell you, just the check of the drinks was $90 and it was only two cocktails and two glasses of wine. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's 90 bucks. And I'm not going to even say how much the food was, but we, we have to start with that. And if one glass of wine is $25, one glass of wine is $25, and I, I, and I can never afford to chill and relax and treat a friend of mine for a beer or for a glass of wine. The last time I, I went... I went out with a, with Panayotis, the bass player of Clave Secreta, mm. in Astoria. He lives in Astoria, New York, in the Greek, of course, the Greek part of of uh, of, of New York. And we went out, and we had a couple of burgers in Astoria, a couple of burgers and one beer each. And the bill was, I don't know, again, it was like more than 50, 60 bucks each. And I'm like, dude, I mean, this is a burger. We were still in the position. I don't know if it's gotten any better, but 
again, I mean, the average gig pays a hundred bucks. And it's been like that for the last 25 years, maybe more. So it's like, you know what? I mean, if you are lucky, if you are lucky, they pay you 125 and you're like, really? Are you kidding me? <laughs> are you are you kidding me? So right. I mean it's like more than half of what I make to you know playing in one gig, it's basically a burger and a beer. It's it's just insane. I mean, the, to be a musician nowadays in New York, it for me. I had it honestly. Uh, honestly, I, I I I was I was not happy. I was not happy. I had to be doing some stuff that was that kept me away from being able to create music because you had to. I mean, you 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 are you are overcome by um, emergencies or urgencies. Mm. Urgencies. We all have urgencies. The urgency to pay your rent to pay your bills, to pay your things. And, and at the end, because you have to deal with urgencies first, then the things that are really important, then the, you don't have space, you don't have the time, or you don't have the money, or you don't, basically you don't take care of this, the important stuff. Making music for Clave Secreta or my own projects or connecting with my friends or family, you don't have time for that because you have to pay bills. At the end, that... And I guess the very, I mean, the, 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 I guess the, the tip of the, yeah, the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. That was when, when, when I started dating a girl from Spain, from Valencia, Spain. And, uh, again, I was 45, you know, and I'm starting to date this, this girl. And she was in, in New Jersey visiting from Spain. And I remember that uh, she told me, she told me in the privacy of my room, but she told me, I don't like the fact that you have a roommate outside, right? Literally outside of your door. <laughs> you, know? Man. you know what I'm saying? So I tell you all of these anecdotes because when I basically put all of these, all of these stuff in the same bucket, I was like, what am I doing here? Honestly. Because if you tell me that, okay, well, I'm here, but I'm playing, I don't know, I'm, I'm playing every week, I'm playing in a gig, or I play like three times a year, I play at the Carnegie Hall. No, I play at the Carnegie Hall maybe once every couple of years, maybe even like, I mean, yeah, Carnegie Hall is a big, is a big thing, or Lincoln Center, is, Lincoln Center is a big thing. But if you ever get a gig there, I can always fly and play that gig, you know? Right, 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 right to play at Lincoln Center once every three years. You know, the rest of the stuff, I mean, being a local musician, most of the time, it's a struggle. It's a struggle because you have to leave the rhythm of the city and the rhythm of the city of, of a place like New York or San Francisco, they're very, very expensive places to live in nowadays. Mm -hmm. So when I moved to, I consider moving to Barcelona first, uh, because basically my, my, my father was born in Barcelona, so I'm basically half Catalan, half Venezuelan. Uh, but at the end, I was like, you know what? Barcelona is going through some political rough times as well because of, you know, independence, independentist movements and stuff like that. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a good vibe. So I was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to give it a try with Madrid. 
And uh, honestly, the it's been great. It's been it's been great because especially the first year that I moved here, I said, okay, it's going to be a little bit of a of my own, uh, I guess, my, uh, how you call um, my, it's my work, not to let go that. Uh, I don't want to uh, what call it um, umbilical cord, but that connection to the U.S. If I lose it, then it's my fault. It's my bad. Mm. In a way, yeah. What really works well of, of living here in Madrid is that you can enjoy being in Europe. If you are, if you have a gig in Paris, it's a an hour and a half, two hour flight. In Berlin, it's two hour flight. In, I mean, you are connected in a completely different circuit of, you know, amazing cities. And also, honestly, I mean, if it's not high season for a, you know, for a couple of hundred bucks, you can travel to New York and play some gigs there too. So if it was worth it, I mean, the first year or first year and a half that I lived here, I was traveling all the time to the U.S., doing stuff there, playing there, and just, you know, keeping my projects happening, which I think is is a little bit of work on my side, but... I'm more than willing to do it. More than yeah. willing to do it because I think it's worth it. I mean, I, I've you know, after living 23 years in the states, it would be my bad if I if I let that go. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm happy. I'm happy here. I'm honestly. I mean, I think Spain is very much. I guess it's closer to Venezuela in in many many ways, especially Madrid. It feels like Caracas. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's very cool. Yeah. A little story too of how I came to know about you actually was through a friend of mine named Gustavo Erraso, who's a bass player from Colombia. He lives out here in Los Angeles. And many years ago, we were playing at a church and he's like, hey man, because you know, we'd always talk back and forth about what was going on in the music scene and what new music was out and all these things. And he's like, hey, I want to give you the CD. It's called La Timba Loca. And I was like, okay. I'm like, cool. You know? And so he gave me the CD. And I was like, dude, this sounds so cool, man. Like, I loved all the music. And then I, I, I searched you guys up on YouTube. You kind of share the name change. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> can you can you talk about that? Of From what it was, it was Latin Baloca to La Clave Secreta. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very funny video. <laughs> well, the very first anecdote of that video before I tell you about the change, but the video and you can you you guys can go and just just search for it. This I don't remember the title of it, but it's it's on it's on my YouTube channel. I remember that I was living at the time in Washington D.C. and it was very hard for me because in Washington D.C. the music scene. I mean Washington, you know, I mean Washington D.C. is like Disneyland for politics, but when <laughs> if Disneyland for politics. <laughs> Good restaurants, actually, have to say the the the, the scene. The, it's it's fantastic, but the music scene is not so much happening. So, in order for me to live in, in to live decently in DC, and uh, and still make music, and uh, I had to actually be all, all the time in a bus with my instrument going to New York, which was the closest place. Still, half four and a half hours. Uh, uh, on on a bus to to play some gigs in New York, and I remember that night I was having a very hard time, very very rough time. Uh, I think it was winter, and I was staying at a at a friend's place, uh, kind of like a, a, a studio apartment. 
the studio apartment was I was just by myself, and I I, I had had some tequila before in the gig that I was <laughs> where I was playing. So I was already kind of like you know in the mood to you know to do something a little bit crazy. So I was trying some really weird stuff with that video to explain why we or why I decided to to change the name from. La Timba Loca to La Clave Secreta. And it's a very funny video. <laughs> it's a very freaking <laughs> funny But anyway, the, thing, the truth is that timba, as, as if you know the word timba, timba is a, it's a style. It's basically how Cubans call their modern salsa, their modern music. You know, the, the Cubans don't like to call their music salsa. That's the first thing. Right. But... Uh, from Son and everything that it was going on, like back in the eighties and early early nineties, a couple of gr- a couple of bands, Enjela Banda, and some people were trying newer new, newer things. And eventually, like in the mid nineties or late nineties, Charanga Banera and um, even Isaac Delgado, that he was already doing his own stuff, uh, but especially Charanga and uh, Medico de la Salsa. They, um, they started calling that style of modern modern Cuban uh, music timba. So the thing is that it's a it's a terminology that is so Cuban, is so purely Cuban that sure. I mean, we call the band Timba Loca because that was our beginning. I mean, we were very much into that style of playing charanga banera and all of that. And to me, that was it, it was fun to play that. And for me, it was also like like the big be- not the beginning of it, because I, I was already arranging even before I, I arrived to Berkeley. But the the truth is that uh, that was the sound that kind of like inspired me to 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 create a band. The reason for me to create Timbaloka was okay. I really want. I mean, even before we started making original music, it was to take very old Cuban or let's say not, not only Cuban, but very old Latin songs and turn them into a more modern sound. And the more modern sound at the time that I had in my mind was, of course, the sounds of timba. So that's why we called it La Timba Loca. Loca, because I guess it was cool. I mean, we were only, what, 24, 25 years old. And uh, we call it Timba Loca. Okay, sure. What happened is like, that was, let me tell you, that album was released. The band was put together in 98, this very, very same year that I graduated at Berkeley. Then 2000, we mixed. 2001 was the release of that album that you heard, the Timbaloka album, Más Allá de La Habana. From 2001 to 2007, 2007 was the year that I started arranging the new songs for Frutero Moderno album. Mm-hmm. And that album was released in 2008, nominated for a Grammy in 2009. So I remember, I remember that in 2007, when I was already arranging this new music and making all of this, in this time, between 2001 and 2007, I had a, a, I mean I learned so much about the good things and the bad things of having a band called Timbaloga, right? 
And of course, I had my my thing that I didn't really like at that moment. At that, at that moment, the name of Timbaloka, I found it like against us. And the, one of the reasons was that, sure, I mean, we're, we're, we have this band called Timbaloka, but n- not me, nor any of the musicians in the band are Cuban. Yet we're called Timbaloka. And Timba, I mean, I again, I mean, sure, I mean, you had you you have a lot of people that like the style of Timba, but you have some people that don't. I remember that when I released the very first that album that you're that that you that you say, the Timbaloka album, we did like three days of uh of uh radio programs and interviews and stuff in Puerto Rico for the for that album. It's a little bit of promotion for the for the album, right? And I re- I still remember to the day, and this is a, another anecdote. I remember that uh, we 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 uh, we run into we run into this guy that he was a promoter, and the guy that was with me, you know, doing all of these interviews, he pulls out one of my CDs and passes to passes the CD to this guy. And the guy grabs the CD. The CD is sealed still with, you know, with, with the plastic wrap. And the guy gets the CD and he reads the cover and it says Timbaloka. And he says, he's from, from, from Puerto Rico. And he says, Timbaloka. Oh, Timba, this is, this, oh, this, this might sound a little like, like Cuban stuff here. And he passes the CD back to me. And I was so sad, and at the same time a little bit offended. But at this, but again, I mean, I was like, I mean, I understood that just by default, you're going to have a lot of people that even I don't know if he's I don't know a, a stupid pride thing being Puerto Rican versus being you know like, I mean, I don't want to again, I don't want to be judgmental. Why? I mean, it's like, I mean, it's a matter of taste. I mean, some people like it, some people don't like it. But if you put in the name of your band something like that, it's like labeling your music so much and so strongly before people listen to your music, you know? Yeah. And again, I mean, I consider when I when I hear my 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 first, even my very first album, of course, I recognize that the presence of Cuban timba is very much there, but I have to say that along the years, as I am being, I, I, I have grown as a musician, a lot of other influences of mine from classical music, from Venezuelan music, from salsa that is not Cuban, they have like come out so strongly in my music as well. And I love it. I mean, the fact that I give space to a Greek bass player to play his own thing and I write a song called La Griega dedicated to him with crazy scales and stuff like that. I mean, that is something that I really embrace from this project. And that's why I felt and I knew that if I didn't take that timba element from the name of the band, it was going to still act against us. Yeah. You know? You know, yeah, sure. I mean, we're a timba band, play, you know, based in Boston or based in New York, and yet we, we I mean, we're not Los Bamban. We are not, and we're not. We're never going to be Los Bamban because we're not from Cuba. 
were not from the source. So it's, I think it was the time, especially before I released the second album, Frutero Moderno, the one that got the, the Grammy nomination, that I said, hey, sure, I mean, we, we have been around, we already have an album, but if there is a moment to change the name, is now before we release the second one. Because after we release the second one, then what's the point, you know? So... Yeah. So I have a I had a, a very nice conversation I remember with a producer friend of mine Aaron Levinson and he said he suggested bro if you are thinking about changing the name now's the time to change it now before you because the album that the, the Frutero Moderno the next album he, I mean he told me that this sounds amazing amazing because it's kind of like in between it's sure I mean there are some Cuban stuff in it right but so original and when you hear that your version of Calle Luna Calle Sol is like I mean that's that's gonna that's gonna be a you know a punch in the nose yeah you know so it is I mean it is important to call to, it is important to uh to start taking the things that weigh too much or that has a negative impact to the original project it's like I mean learning from the mistakes you know Sure, Timbaloka was fun at the beginning, but I mean, it doesn't work. We have to learn from the mistakes. And then, sure, I mean, we call it La Clave Secreta. I, you know, I came up with the name Clave Secreta, and I think it's it's a it's a much more representative name of what we are, you know, because yeah. we have our own our, our own secret thing. <laughs> you know? But it, but that's the, the you know, that I guess that was the main reason. That that was the, the story behind. Well, let me ask you this because one of my favorite songs from the whole album from Frutero Moderno is Calle Luna, Calle Sol. Your guys' rendition. I mean, what the bass player is doing for me is like amazing. You know, just the feel is just incredible. And every time somebody wants to get an introduction into some type of fusion theme by music, I always recommend this album. It's always been my number one. So it's just an honor to have you on the show. Thanks. How did that arrangement come about? Because in the song, you guys somewhat drag the time as the song progresses. How did that come about? Because it's incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, well, different things. The story that I just told you about this guy in Puerto Rico that, re you know, rejecting my first album kind of like stuck in, you know, in, in my head. Yeah. And I remember that I already had almost the entire album arranged and decided Puchi Pluma, Mujer Divina all of these songs, they were already recorded, Frutero Moderno uh, all of that Sabor Swing is Aoko yeah. yeah, all of that was already done and I was still missing one song and I remember that what, what happened with that guy in Puerto Rico and I was like, you know what I'm going to pick a song dedicated to that dedicated to that moment or inspired by that by by that moment so this is a puerto rican guy that he, he was so proud and at the same time like rejecting something that was before listening to it he was rejecting something that it was cuban like just because right and i was like okay so i am going to take a song by either either ismael rivera or Hector Lavoe, because they are the two most important icons of, they are like gods in salsa music, right? For, for, for in Puerto Rican salsa, that's what I'm saying. So I was like, you know what? Just like, to, just to, you know, to 
to make my own version of a song of one of these two mega idols, Puerto Rican idols. So I, I searched and searched and searched and I listened to it. And I said, you know what? I really like this Calle Luna Calle Sol because the, 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 what it says, the lyrics of the song, I mean, I, I think the original arrangement also caught me because the sound of Willie Colon with these trombones and all that, wah, bah, 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 bah. I mean, it was so harsh in a way, right? That I was like, okay, so Calle Luna Calle Sol is a song that I want to dedicate in a way to to that rejection that I got, you know? And I'm going to de dedicate a song, a Puerto Rican song, to you know, but I'm going to make a Puerto Rican song that talks about two streets in Viejo San Juan, Calle Luna, Calle Sol, to a very specific situation, dangerous situation in these uh, two streets. But it's something that, I mean, these, these two streets are in Del Viejo San Juan. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very Puerto Rican, very, very Puerto Rican thing. So I'm going to take a very Puerto Rican thing and I'm going to turn it and make it my own. Not necessarily Cuban, but I'm going to make this my own. Because to me, it's been always like this. I mean, since the very, I mean, you could, you could hear in, uh, in the very first album that we recorded, we recorded Nina, we recorded uh, Tibiritabara, Besito de Coco. We recorded like six, half the album is not original. It's basically arrangements, my own arrangements of classics of salsa. Yeah, yeah. But always, always my shot on this is like, why, I mean, why after having an arrangement of Nina, like the original, why am I going to do the same thing again? I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to, I mean, why am I going to record Calle Luna, Calle Sol with the same arrangement that, I mean, I, that makes no sense. I am not going to play it better than Willy Colon. You know, I am not going to, I mean, if I'm going to do something, if I'm going to do a rendition of Calle Luna, Calle Sol, I'm going to make it so mine and so different than the original that, I mean, it makes, same thing with uh, Mujer Divina. I mean, yeah. Now, the very original arrangement of Mujer, Div of, of, of Mujer Divina, the recording with uh, Joe Cuba, with vibraphone, and it was, it's so beautiful. It's so amazing that I'm going to do, if I'm going to do that song, I'm going to make it radically, radically different, you know, so that, so in a way it, it becomes mine. I have to deconstruct the song and make it again, make it mine. So that was my very first thing. So I'm going to, on purpose, I'm going to take Calle Luna, Calle Sol and make it mine. Then another thing that, I, that I, to me is very important is to connect with the lyrics of the song. That, by that moment, I guess I was already arranging more like that. In the first album, I was still very young and per, perhaps writing more, it was more about the, the notes and the, you know, the fast runs and the, 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 the funky harmonies and stuff. When I arranged the songs for the second album, it was more about the songs. It was more about the finding the core and the soul of the songs per se. And so basically I connected to the lyrics of, of Calle Luna, Calle Sol. And one thing I always like, because I think it's just fun, I like to quote, to quote other things within my arrangements. 
to make little suggestions or, or, or quotes. So within the arrangement, because the song talks about dangerous places, dangerous streets and dangerous kind of situation, then I am quoting in the mambo section of, in the mambo of Calle Luna, Calle Sol, I'm quoting Pedro Navaja. I am quoting Fuego en el 23. Mm. I am quoting so many different songs that more or less are related to the same idea. And one of the most important motifs that I keep repeating throughout the arrangement is Live and Let Die by Paul McCartney. So, again, I, I am using some elements within the arrangement that, that they are all connected to something that is dangerous and something that is, you know, that something is wrong with this place, you know? Yeah. And uh, I guess to, to, to wrap up the, the, the Calle Luna, Calle Sol thing, I think one of the things, as you said, uh, that gets people's, people's attention is why am I slowing down the coro? I mean, I mean, why? I mean, what is it? Well, a couple of things. When I studied at Berkeley, I think it's been, it's been a little bit uh, rebel, you know, with an intention. Because again, I mean, the, the, the idea of, of, of making this arrangement was already kind of like an, a little bit of, of a protest of my own. But the, the thing is that one of the very first rules that they teach you at Berkeley when you're learning arrangement and, and all of the stuff is that you have to avoid uh, certain intervals, flat nines, you know, things, things that they teach you at, you know, in school. But I love this teacher, uh, this arranging teacher that I had, that he said, the rules are there also to break them when you have a, re when you have a good reason to break them, Right. So, the coro says, mete la mano en el bolsillo, saca y abra tu cuchillo y ten cuidado. I mean, it's like, you are, you are describing something that is dangerous, something that is wrong, something that is, you know, is, is a harsh sound. It's a harsh sound. So, that is the perfect spot to add a lot of tension. So, I don't know if you can, can you hear the piano a little bit? Yeah, yep. So the melody, the melody goes, right? But if I do this, right? <laughs> to add that tension at the very beginning of the coro, that is already, again, that's another punch in the nose. Right <laughs> there, it's like, mete la mano en el bolsillo, that is exactly what I what I wanted because having that dissonance there it makes a big 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 difference. It makes people go whoa from the very beginning right. of this. Right. That's the idea. That's the idea because it's really I mean it's not a it's not a happy song and I'm not using this element in a happy song. No, it's a very very harsh thematic so that's why I'm using that element as well. And why did I slow down? Because I wanted that dissonant to be stretched out mm. and to be not just... Because if, if I didn't slow down, it sounded like this. So it sounded like a mistake. So it... 
But if I do this, then people know, no, this is not a mistake. There is something wrong intentionally. <laughs> it's like I'm stretching out the spot. I mean, I could have stretched out this. No, I'm stretching out the spot where the dissonance is. Man. So that's why, basically, it's like, yeah, I'm breaking rules, and I'm doing it with a reason, you know, with a, with a good reason, and I am making, an, you know, some, I'm putting some emphasis on it. Like, that's it. Yeah. That's it. So that's why at the, at the end... All of this, I mean, I have to say that it was the very last song to add to that album and is is my favorite, my own personal favorite arrangement from that album for sure, yeah. for sure. Because all of this, I mean, when finally, and I've seen people's reactions at the very, very, very end when everything wraps wraps up and you and you hear the very, the very last Calle Luna, Calle Sol and the song ends right there with that coro again and everybody everybody that i played that song they are like out of breath they are like what just happened <laughs> what just happened what yeah. just happened to me that is what is important when you pay tribute or when you you know to make a rendition of something it's like i mean some people have asked me why don't you write an arrangement or your own version of of, of pedro navaja i'm like dude no way no way <laughs> no way I can make my own arrangement, my own personal original arrangement of Pedro Navaja that is better than the original. It's too, it, it would be too much. It would be too much. If I am not able, or if I don't consider myself able to make it like that, like Calle Luna, Calle Sol, then I don't, I don't, I don't do it. Yeah. I mean, there are some things that is better maybe not to touch them. I've had this discussion in different drives, different commutes that I've had, you know, where different friends and I show them the song and I'm like, hey, check this out. Tell me what you think about this. That's the first thing that they're thrown off by. Just the time feeling drag. The chorus comes in, the bass comes in and it's killing. It's it's amazing. So thank you for sharing that story. I really always wanted to know. And a very cool anecdote too is that I don't know if you know John Benitez, the bass player. Yes. Incredible. Yes. We were uh, uh, hanging out actually because none of us were actually playing in the gig but we we're hanging out at this a place called Guantanamera in New York. Okay. Where, where Pedrito Martinez used to play and all of that. I mean, all of that. Guantanamera was a very, very important spot. It became a very important spot. So anyway, I mean, musicians, we, we were just sometimes just hanging out there. And I remember that John Benitez told me, dude, uh, man, your album is just insane. This and that. You know what? You know who's a fan of yours? I'm like, no. But, but, but and, and he says, no, but seriously, seriously. I mean, he's a fan that when he goes around giving lectures and clinics and, you know, master classes and, all, and, uh, and he actually puts your album and plays on top of your album in front of audiences. And I'm, I'm not like, who are you talking about? I said, Dave Weckelman. And I'm like, wow. What, what are you talking about? It's like, Dave Weckel loves your music. I, 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 and, and he said, I played a little bit of your album today because he was he was actually playing in some clinics with Dave. And since then, Dave Weckl, he he became kind of like a you know a follower of Clave Secreta stuff. And 
he always says in all of his clinics that <laughs> that when it comes to salsa or to Latin music, that he always puts, you know, the clave secreta as an example of what fusion, that's what, what you were saying before. Yeah. It's how you do some kind of fusion of the Cuban thing with something else. And I think that for us, also going back to the previous question, that is what made me decide to, you know, take the name Timba from it. Because fusion is not necessarily Timba. I mean, you have to leave space for people to wonder, okay, what is this thing? Yeah, that's good. Don't give it, don't, don't, I mean, if you, imagine, imagine that you are a very, I don't know, hectic chef that you like to, and you have a very broad, you know, big menu of different things and spices and stuff like that. But the name of your restaurant is Kevin's Burgers. <laughs> if you are serving, I don't know, something else, anyway, people are going there thinking that that's what you served, you know? Yeah, that's good. I have a lot of respect for Dave because a lot of people don't know this about him. But when he started playing his version of Songo, people call it the American way of playing Songo, right? But a lot of people don't know that Dave studied with Changuito. True. At the very beginning. You're, there's old videos of him trying to study and like just repeat the, the pattern of Songo and Changuito's correcting Dave Weko. And I'm like, dude, this is incredible. You know? True. I had the pleasure of, because of course, I mean, I, I have to say that before I, before I decided to, to, uh, to study piano seriously, my instrument was the cello. As I said before, I mean, I, that was my thing. I, and to me, the piano was more like a hobby. I was just, you know, just playing a little bit of keyboards here and there, playing Venezuelan music, playing a little bit of salsa, but that was kind of like, until a group of friends of mine in Venezuela, they, they said to me, I think I remember it was 1988, 89, something like that. And these friends of mine, I remember I was playing some Venezuelan style of music called gaitas with them. I was playing gaitas. And these friends of mine, they told me, because they they saw me playing a lot of guaco music and starting to play, you know, chords with a little more tensions in it and this and this and like that. And they told me, Gonzalo, have you listened to, to Chico Ria Electric Band? And I'm like, no, what's that? What's that? And it's like, you haven't heard that that's gonna change your life. And it's like, well, I mean, let, let me let me search for it. Of course, I mean that again, this is er, uh late 80s, so no internet yet. So <laughs> to find an album, to find a CD of you know Chicoria, that was crazy, that was hard. But still, I mean I, I got a hold of uh of uh, at least a couple of albums. The first the very first album I remember, the very first electric band album. And I became like their most like I, I learned so many tunes. I mean the solos, Chicoria solos. I mean I I could barely play piano. I was just taking a little bit of basic keyboard at the conservatory, and I already was transcribing Chicoria solos. Like, like I mean because I I became seriously like a groupie in Venezuela. But you know, so anyway. Uh, that was what made me decide when I 
applied to Berkeley, I was already like playing keyboards and piano with so many groups in Venezuela. And what made me decide to go for it big time and go to Berkeley in Boston, and I graduated at Berkeley for, uh, as a jazz piano major, it was electric band, and it was always Weckl to me. It was mm-hmm. That was my inspiration. Weckl, Chicoria, Patitucci, Marienthal, and, and, and uh, Frank Cambali. So anyway, these guys, that was my, 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 the gasoline that got me going, right? So when, of course, when uh, John Benitez tells me this story, no, they Weckl is your fan. I'm like, dude, come on, man. Seriously? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was that. Years later, maybe a couple of years later, I run into this young, very young cat, Sebastian, I forgot his last name. He's a very young, talented drummer from Venezuela that I met in some gig. And he comes to me, it's like, you're Gonzalo Grau? He's like, yeah, man, I have to tell you this. I am, you know, I'm a drummer and I, I, I took this master class in a in a whole you know full of drummers from from you know from all over the world and Dave Weckl was giving this lesson and he starts playing your music and I'm like so, <laughs> so it's <you>. true <laughs> so this kid tells me man it would be my honor if I do you know do you know Dave and I'm like no of course I don't know Dave it's like do you want me to connect you guys I'm like of course, yes, definitely. So I gave this guy my email and just randomly, just like that, out of the blue, I mean, one day I opened my opened up my email and I see Dave Weckl. He writes to me an email saying, Gonzalo, very nice to meet you. I'm your fan, Dave, and your music is amazing and this and this and that. And I'm like, I'm flipping out. I I can't believe it. Man. So I connected to, to with Dave. I we, we shared a couple of emails. And the next time I was there in LA visiting Fausto, recording some some of his songs for his own production. Uh, I was there at LAX waiting for Fausto to pick me up. And I was like, just let me just see if Dave is around. Maybe it's a good chance to meet the guy, and I I wrote to him uh, an email, and he replied, "Yes, I am I am home, and I, it would be amazing to have brunch with you and 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 your friend Fausto." So man, I mean, it was a trip because it's the way I to me it's kind of like it's it's how you call full circle, you know. I started with that copying these guys, transcribing these guys, and I did my own thing, having this influence, heavy influence on fusion and all of this music from these guys somehow this music goes all the way to their ears and there I was in LA having brunch with Dave Weckl and he was kind of like interviewing me asking me questions how do you record this and how, why did you make this coro like a little bit slower and I'm like <laughs> I, can, I cannot believe I cannot believe this but anyway I mean it is definitely a, 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 a I, I can't say that we have done or I have done a lot of work with Clave Secreta in terms of touring or in terms of, I don't know, releasing an album per year. Uh, but I'm very proud of what we have done. Yeah. 
we in in a we are about to release our third album, and uh, I I have to say that I mean for many reasons I mean we, it's uh, at the end at the end I realized that our mission in music is not necessarily to tour the world and to become like the next I don't know Los Bamban I mean there is already Los Bamban there, but I guess our mission my own mission in life is to be myself as a composer and as and as a arranger, you know, as a band leader. I guess my mission is to whatever I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say it my way, you know. I'm gonna put, you know, I'm gonna leave that there. You know, it makes to me, to me, I come from a very, very heavy musical background and music, I guess, family history in terms of music education and at the end, with all of that, to do something that sounds like Mark Anthony and or sounds like La India or whatever was commercial back in the nineties, it was it was just not being me, you know. I guess I guess one of the things that I like to always say and and suggest to young musicians is like try to find your voice, you know, as a writer, as an artist, and that's one of the hardest things to do because the market. Is very hard on new stuff. The market doesn't want, oh, okay, this guy sounds a little bit different. You sound very original. So, yes, but let's do something that is more bachata like this that is right now very much happening and selling because we want to make the money, you know? When you are a, when, when you are a true artist, you, you have to be a little bit more, uh, I guess, honest or... or faithful to your own thing whatever is it that you are carrying in your i guess in your education in your in your baggage because we all carry a very beautiful baggage of stuff you know yeah yeah <laughs> we all have our own suitcase of influences and mm -hmm. stuff that we have listened you know from from michael jackson to whatever i mean you you name it and the good thing the beautiful thing is that Everybody carries their own personal suitcase with different amounts of, even if we have heard the same thing, maybe you have a little bit more Michael Jackson than, than, than me. So that makes your own influence, your own suitcase a little bit different than mine. Yeah. So it is very important for an artist to find your own voice, to find your own mix of different elements and to give that mix an output, you know, to put that out there is so freaking important. To me, that was my thing. And I realized, I, I realized that maybe the hard way because at the beginning, of course, I was a little frustrated. Oh, we didn't travel that much. We haven't toured the world, the Clave Secreta, haven't, sure. I mean, we have never had like a serious management behind. You know, I had a little bit of help of my ex-wife when she was trying to manage the band back in you know back at the beginning but we we have never had the muscle behind mm. the only thing we have had is music from the musicians of the band and from myself that's it with the only the only motivation and the only true gasoline behind the engine of Clave Segreta is music music and friendship that's it that's no good. commercial, nothing. No, yeah. we don't have a record label behind pushing us or, okay, let's 
make a next album and we're going to tour the world and we have this concert here, this concert there. And we no, 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 no. The only, the only motivation of this, and and that's what I'm saying that the only and the the main, uh, I would say, the yeah, the the main um, my north with this project is to make music. Is the arrangements. If yeah. the arrangements, if the songs is to leave, not necessarily 40 albums, but if I'm going to leave one or two or three albums, they are going to say, they are going to say something, you know? Yeah, that's good. You actually I, answered my question because one of my next questions was going to be what advice you had for aspiring musicians, people that are trying to get into the industry and yeah. really succeed. But everything you just said answers that question. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I, it's 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 very important. I mean, it's a, it's a very tricky time because we're dealing again with the exponential growth of technology. It's so out of control that I mean, when I was becoming a I guess an artist, a, a, you know, a, in my early twenties, uh, not even the MP3 was out. Then the MP3 was out, the first iPod, and in a matter of a few years, then it's like, wow, we can have so much music in just one of these things. And I still didn't understand, okay, how is this really a positive thing? Because I still have in my car, I have a CD player. So I didn't really <laughs> understand what, what's up. And you see what happens now with MP3 players. Now iPods are like, I mean, I, I still have one. I'll show you this because this is. I I think I still have it somewhere. You have the classic. Oh my gosh! <laughs> of course, filled with a lot of a lot of beautiful stuff. But again, I uh, you know it's like if you see what what's going on with the music industry right now with the streaming you know platforms and all of that. Yeah. And with everything with YouTube, you remember how it was the beginning of YouTube. It was just a couple of friends just sharing videos. That's it. And now everything, I mean, everything is, you know, it's about our advertisements and, and it's like, it's like, it's a whole, it's a whole different world. It's a whole different world. So if you are a young artist that you are, I don't know, like, like in your early twenties and you're, of course, I mean, you are more, way more savvy about, you know, of, of on all of these new platforms and new ways of selling music. You know, becoming an influencer. It's like, influencer? What's that? What is an influencer? To me, a good influence is Chikoria. I mean, he got me going with the piano, you know? But now an influencer is just someone that you have a lot of followers. Even if you are a bad example, <laughs> even if you are a bad influence, you are an influencer because you have a lot of followings, you know? So it's crazy. Uh, that's the world we live in nowadays. So as an artist... I have to say to all to all young artists out there that sure, I mean, if you have the muscle and if you have the connections and the money and the let's say the the record label behind your productions or whatever you're doing, fine. That's that that's that's always good, maybe in a way. But it's very hard to find your own thing. To make whatever it, whatever it is that you are doing, to still try to have your own voice and to make it 
original, to make something that is original. Now, with the platforms, I mean, everybody, I mean, you go and you can upload your own music to, you know, to all the platforms, and that's fantastic. That's amazing. But try always, always to not to sound like, don't go the easy way. Don't don't go, oh, Despacito is selling so much. I'm going to make a song that sounds exactly like Despacito because I'm going to try to. D don't go that way. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. Don't don't try to be, you know, it's like, I mean, that at the end, that hurts music. It hurts music and it hurts. I mean, there is so much, so, so much stuff that is being sold out there that is being like, oversold out there that it sounds exactly the same exactly the same the same four chords the same thing the same the same the same the same i mean i don't want to sound like my grandfather but the truth is that i mean when when i go to a concert and i see uh i don't know stevie wonder and i'm like man what happened to music seriously because when you hear the songs the harmonies the horn lines, the everything. I mean, and you and you see these artists playing there with a, I don't know, 16 or 22 piece band. And you are like, wow, what happened to music? Or yeah. Earth, Wind and Fire? Mm -hmm. Or is that, I mean, I'm talking about pop music. I'm not talking about obscure avant-garde stuff. It's not Frank Zappa. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Stevie Wonder or I don't know, Cool and the Gang. And you hear their music and you are like, oh my God, that is so funky and so groovy and so beautiful and well-performed and well-sang way before all of this like auto-tune and all of this technology was out there. This is people that can really sing, that can really play, that can really arrange music and that, you know. And nowadays... You see, sure. I mean, if you are using technology as an extra tool for create for for creation, awesome. That's fantastic. If you if you want to use Auto Tune to you know like this guy Jacob Collier and I mean, like, I mean, sure. I mean, there, there are there is some very interesting stuff out there and people that uses technology in a funky way, fantastic. But if you are just creating or making music, you know, like by by series like like you know repetitively the same thing this the same thing the same thing and you are trying to sell the same exact thing over and over and over and over at the end at the end who are you mm. who are you as an artist that to me that i mean tell me something tell me something and do not that, that's another thing that i want to tell to people do not uh do not be desperate to find your voice because it takes long it takes long for some people some some very few people have it easy like michael jackson he was 5 and he already was mm -hmm. dancing and singing like nobody you know when when you are very pure very pure not fusionized kind of artist most likely it's easier for you because you know. No, I sing R&B and soul and I, you know, because I grew up going to church and this is what I sing. Fine. You have it easy. 
because you have it. But the more styles you grew up with, classical music and flamenco music and salsa music and Venezuelan music and this and that and jazz, and the more ingredients you have in your recipe, the longest it takes to discover your own voice as an artist. So if you like Brazil, if you're a singer out there and you like Brazilian music, but you like jazz, you like, I don't know, Ella Fitzgerald, but you also like, I don't know, Jesse Norman, and you like this and you like the, let me tell you, it's going to take some slow cooking. Your process is going to take longer until it's ready, until your dish as an artist, until you are cooked to say something of your own. So that that's that's my advice do not rush do not rush just because you want to sell and try to make some honestly to make some pennies because nowadays <laughs> with these platforms we artists we only get pennies that, so try to be original be original be original and don't be afraid to to let all of these influences out, to let all of these different flavors that have accompanied you since you were a kid. That is, that is your most precious thing. If you have all of that, don't uh, sell yourself cheap. Don't go, oh, I'm going to make this song with these four chords because everybody's making the same song, so I'm going to make the same thing so I can make some money. No, don't do that. Try to be a little bit more loyal to your own thing, to yeah. your own suitcase. That's good. that's my advice. That's great, man. That's awesome. Great advice, Gonzalo. Man, I truly, truly appreciate this time that you've taken with me to share all these amazing stories and things that you know you've learned throughout your career that have worked for you, and I'm sure are going to work for those that are watching and listening to this podcast. As we're wrapping up, I want to ask you. Social media platforms. I know you have a love and hate relationship with it, but anything coming out, your own personal projects, La Clave Secreta, that you want to quickly talk about? Yeah, I mean, this year, 2021, hopefully, um, the new album of Clave Secreta, the full album, because I've been releasing uh, singles, you know, song by song here and there. The full album was recorded also on video, on 360-degree video. And uh, so I'm releasing all of that. Um, and I've been going, one, you know, song by song, but I think it's time. Maybe, maybe I'll release one more single, but I'm looking into the idea or the possibility of releasing the, the entire thing. So so that that's going to happen this year for sure. Um, other projects... Um, Still, I have, uh, you know, since we are still willing, dealing with no, no concerts. So I'm, 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 of course, always in the talk with friends of mine, Alex Alviar, the the director of Mango Blue, uh, that he's living in Quito, Ecuador nowadays. So I always have projects with him, Ernesto Briseño, another dear friend of mine, founder member of Clave Secreta, that he lives in Barcelona. I also have some other projects with him. I mean, I have uh, Fausto Cuevas, actually. I mean, I've been 
writing songs and producing songs for for his own album, solo album that is going to be sometimes. Some, I mean, we have to catch up and uh, keep recording stuff for for that production. Uh, the biggest project that I have right now is actually a, an amazing uh, commission that I got because one of the things that I get, I mean, once in a while is actually stuff for symphonic orchestras. And I've been writing already for, for some symphonic stuff. But I have to say that this project that I'm writing, I mean, I'm already, I already started. And I'm very excited to say that I am writing music for one of my main mentors because the uh, project is for the cellist Yoyoma. Yoyoma, so it's it's basically a double a double concerto for two soloists, is violin and cello. So uh, the the violinist is Johnny Gandelsman, the cello player is Yoyo Yoyoma, and this is for the Orchestra of the Americas. And uh, it's basically a double concerto that it'll be, it would be pre, let's say, pre-released this year, sometime in the, in the summer. I think it's going to be released uh, a shorter version that is basically uh, um, done for, uh, for social media, for, you know, for something that is just online. And then the full release of the whole thing, it will be most likely in the summer of 2022. Uh, so this is a very big, big, big project. I'm very happy to be writing this thing right now. So I have a lot of music to write, a lot of stuff to produce, some other albums and some, but of my own, my own, the the, the concerto, the Yoyoma concert, and uh, which is going to be dedicated to the Americas. That's basically the theme. Of it, so it's a it's a beautiful concert, and uh, that, and the release of Clave Secreta stuff. Nice, awesome, awesome. Well, Gonzalo, thank you so much for your time, and really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Hopefully, this year, man, things uh, open up a little bit for musicians. <laughs> Hopefully, because uh, honestly, I mean, I uh, like a month, month and a half ago, I played a concert, and I was so I felt so rusty like seriously i mean <laughs> not, only, not only my fingers and you know the, my playing in general but kind of like the, the the whole the whole dynamic of playing with other musicians it's like i mean it's like it's, it's like everything if you don't do that on a regular basis you mm. get a little bit like your confidence level gets a little shaky you know yeah yeah everything everything but it's but uh, i have to say that we all have to be very patient because at the same time, I don't want to, uh, I don't like two things. I did one concert uh, over Zoom like this, and I didn't like the experience of playing not in front of an audience. I mean, the audience was there. I don't know, maybe like 60 or 80 people were connected, but there is no feedback. At the end, you you play, you, you finish your piece, and there is no applause. So... <laughs> At the end, it's like, no. I mean, this is not why we sign. This is not what I sign for. You know, this is this is not my my thing. Yeah. Um, and also, I have to say that as a salsa player, mostly, you know, as a, uh, I don't like the idea of going to a club to play salsa for something that is not, you know, that is only thirty percent, you know, capacity with all the audience that I can't really see their faces because they have a mask 
and uh, and of course, I mean, mo mo I mean, most of it is just I mean, people that can't really dance because <laughs> dance is not. I mean, so it's like why then then why are we playing? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So for for me, it's going to take a little bit more time. I'm crossing all my fingers, wishing that these vaccine vaccines they really work. Yeah. Because uh, that's going to be a game changer. If that doesn't work, this is going to take a long, long, long time. Especially in terms of uh, us being confident again, you know, being you know to trust to go out there and be relaxed again and say, right. yeah, I'm going to have a good time and I'm going to drink this out of this glass and i don't mind you know it's gonna take it it's gonna it's gonna take some time yeah it's gonna take yeah but i'm but in the in the meantime i have to say that i me personally because because a lot of my work is writing music and producing music and 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 that's the beautiful thing of technology nowadays that i, I can do that anywhere and in my own laboratory here i'm i'm so Man, thank you very much for this invitation. I, I had a great time with uh, you know telling telling you all of these anecdotes <laughs> and stories. Because uh, honestly, I mean, it, it, this to me is also part of my gasoline is connecting with people that that once you know once in a while I, I get oh I really like your your music and I play this song and look at I mean I know the Panayotis lines and I'm, I'm like man this is at the end that's that's better than a Grammy for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Going. It's like, wow. No, it's, seriously. I mean, thank you yeah. very much. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 36 with Gonzalo Grau. Tune in for next week's episode. Yeah, man. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. <laughs>